Now, if Ronnie had fallen, I would have laughed. I'm telling you now. And I wouldn't have felt bad about laughing either. I'm just letting y'all know that. Yes, if Ruby, Sister Ruby was still here and Renee, oh, Lord, that would have been it. I'm going to ask you to stand, please. I want you to, the person that you're standing next to, if you would please grab their hand. Don't squeeze it too tight on anybody. Stand, ouch. <laughs> I want you to bow your head, if you would. Today, Lord, as we stand in your presence, united, we recognize that you are a God who, was, who does things very symbolically. You use symbols, and as we stand with hands united, stand in the presence of God, we stand humbly before you to say that we recognize our need for the great and mighty King. Pray that today that you will open our hearts and our minds to the very Word of God. May the Word of God come forth in power, anoint the vessel, and pray that, Lord, you will speak today through the vessel that the word of God not only may be heard, but that it will be done. Yes. We do love you, we honor you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today in Sunday school, we call Murtis, have prayer with Murtis and Robert Fisher, who got the same facility, on the phone. So the Sunday school class, the call to put it on the speakerphone, it was hard to hear parts of it, and then came a little bit clear, but Murtis says she loves us all, and uh, Thanks for the prayer, so I want to thank God for that. Omega had called her also earlier in the week, so I want to thank God for that. In your Bibles, if you would turn to Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, and I want to draw your attention to verse 9, verses 9 through 14. Also, I would like for someone to find, when I ask you to read it, to find Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. This Michelle, if you would be so kind to find Isaiah 64, verse 6. I'll be reading from the new NIV. <coughs> Danny, good to see you back there. Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 9, and then Isaiah chapter 64, verse Luke 18, beginning in verse 9, and it reads, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, and in your Bible may say publican. The Pharisee stood by himself, and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For 
All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The title for this message I give is Two Different Prayers and Two Different Outcomes. Two different prayers and two different outcomes. Two men in our passage today exemplify two different outcomes for people that approach God in a certain way. This parable's purpose is stated at the beginning of the parable. One, it it addresses self-righteousness and how a person sees everyone else compared to him or herself. But the parable's main purpose is not so much just dealing with prayer, but the point of the parable is dealing with how one is justified before God. In other words, how is one declared righteous before God? Now let's get right into the passage. In the beginning of this chapter, chapter 18, Jesus is again speaking to his disciples. I recently preached on the parable of this widow earlier in the chapter. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and as his custom was, um, or the custom was at this time, when a parable or when teaching was occurring in in the temple, the people would stand while the teacher would sit and teach the people. So the people would stand around listening to the word of God. In this group were often the religious leaders and those who hated Jesus. The religious leaders were oftentimes made up where they were, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, teachers of the law. They weren't necessarily in the crowd because they wanted truth to be revealed to them. But they were there because they were trying to find some way to find fault with Jesus. And so even as this parable is being told, Jesus turns his attention to the Pharisees and those that are in this group. Now who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees arose in the time of the Maccabees. And were called at that time separatists in mockery by their enemies. So their enemies in mockery, just like Christians, were called Christians not by the Christian church, but Christians were called Christians because they said those folk act just like Christ. So they were called the Christ ones. And so it wasn't a term of endearment. It was meant to be an insult. And so the separatists came about at the time of the Maccabees. They were the exponents or the guardians of what was called the written and the oral laws. And their belief at this time, they considered themselves conservatives, but actually their religion showed much more outward appearance and they were trivial. They, they focused on the trivial things. And so even the laws that God had established in the Old Testament, 
they would add their own laws on top of those laws and told people that they had to obey them even though themselves, they themselves weren't keeping those laws. They couldn't keep them. The Maccabees were a group led by a, a, by a priest by the name of Mattathias and his five sons. Do you remember there was a time in between the Old Testament and the New Testament between Malachi and Matthew? There was a span of about 400 years where there was not a word necessarily being given to prophets to tell the people. You remember when Isaiah and Jeremiah, they were preaching, they would get words from God and they would tell the people. But between the Old Testament, the ending, or the book of Malachi, and the New Testament, of a period of about 400 years, there was no revealed revelation coming from God directly to people. But there was a lot of things, as Sister Michelle even said in a Sunday school class that she was teaching not long ago, there was a lot of things happening. And this period of the Maccabees around 167 B.C., uh, there was this group, these, this, this priest named Mattathias and his sons. Well, Antiochus, the fourth, and I, I don't want to go to too much history, but, but when you look at those that were in charge, the Greeks at one point, um, Alexander the Great, had, was conqueror of the world. And out of Alexander the Great, and after he died, there was a, a division, a separation of his of the people that were serving under him, and they formed different parties. They kind of rebelled, and they went different ways. And the book of Daniel even speaks of, of this. But of this group, there were three. One went to Egypt and ruled an area, and one went to other places. But out of this group came a person by the name of Antiochus. His father was the third and the fourth. And oftentimes, the Jewish people had their own custom, and they were allowed to practiced their own religion. But Antiochus IV basically wanted to do away with the Jewish customs and God, and so he decreed that the Jewish nation could no longer offer sacrifices to God. They could no longer honor their tradition nor honor the Sabbath. They could no longer circumcise their male boys. And so the offerings that were God-ordained from the law, there was this altar that God had told Moses and that was set up for the sacrifices of the animals. And so in defiance of God and the law, he sacrificed a pig on the altar, which was a detestable thing in the Jewish custom in God. He did it as a desecration. And then said, now the Jewish people and the priests have to offer sacrifices to the idols and offer sacrifice pigs on the altar. Well, when this representative from Antiochus IV had gone to place named Moanim, I believe is pronounced. Um, this Greek person went to Mattathias and said, you must do this. 
And when a Jewish person that was there was about to comply, Mattathias killed the Jewish person, said, how dare you? And then he killed the representative that was sent. As a result of this, he led a group. His sons, they headed for the mountains. Now, let me cut this short. Now, they have a different name of the Maccabees. Their actual name, Hasmonean. Hasmonean is Asmonean, okay. That was actually Mattathias' actual tribe that he came up out of. But they were given the name Maccabees, and I'll tell you that in just a moment why. But when they went to the hill country, they realized that Antiochus was going to be upset and was going to send his army after them. And so they headed to the hills, and they placed themselves strategically in this mountain, and the king thought that they would be coming down to fight in the plains, but they stayed there. And they got their name primarily because while they were a small band, they defeated the, 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 the group that the king was sending out. He sent a small group. They defeated them. Then he sent a larger group of the army, and he defeated them as well. And the Maccabees got the name, and primarily from the son of, of Mattathias, Judah, his son, because they were said to be a hammer. In other words, they hit them so hard, it was like a hammer. And that's what the word Maccabees means. It was like a hammer. And so this period of the Maccabees became very important in Jewish history. And out of this comes this era, the Pharisees. Is that clear now or more confusing? <laughs> but that's some of the background. I'm going to move on. But I thought it's important to kind of set up this, who these individuals were that we see. And sometimes you'll, you, ne you never just know the Bible's full of stuff, y'all. <laughs> you know, and we have to sometimes we do other research. What's the background? And so the Pharisees are this group that's established here, and they are to be the leaders, but they have been the ones that have been opposing Christ and set themselves up in high positions. I'm dealing with one point, and the point that I will give you is going to the temple to pray. Now, I need to say that this is a very positive thing to do. There are two positive things that I want to give you that the Pharisee actually did. One, he went to the temple and he began his prayer by saying, God, I thank you. That was the extent of his good, of his, of his good start. He should have stopped after that. But because he went on, <laughs> it revealed what was in his heart. The attitude of how one approaches God is critical in determining if God is going to hear your prayers. Now, the two men that go to the temple could not be, be viewed as more different than any two people. The Pharisee's name alone for this group was meaningful. They, just to be called a Pharisee or part of the Pharisaical law, the, the Sadducees, you, I mean, you were like, oh, you're such and such. It'd be like saying, your dad or my dad was Bill Gates. Your ears would perk up because what comes to your mind is money. 
Bill Gates is associate, associated with money. So if you said my father was Bill Gates, basically you would be considered a person of prestige and people would take note. I can imagine if anybody's eyes were closed, their eyes might open up and look and say, who? And you might be trying to find a way to get to know that person. I would say that you probably had ulterior motives. <laughs> the second man, the tax collector or the publican, automatically carries um, the associated title as sinner. Just to be a tax collector was synonymous with sinner. You are a sinner. His job position as a tax collector for the Roman government meant that he was hated by his, Jewish, his fellow Jewish um, people because he was a traitor. He went to go work for the Roman government. Because they were under bondage to the Romans, they were hated. And when they went to go collect the taxes that the government demanded or required, they also added a little bit more for themselves. So in other words, they were saying... Uh, I'm taking extra. Now, because they were for the government, the government didn't care what they basically did as long as they got theirs. That's what some people say today. I don't care what happened to such and such as long as I get mine. That's what we hear, right? No, but our attitude shouldn't be that way. Our attitude should be for the welfare of others. In case you didn't know, one of Jesus' disciples was a tax collector. Now, this group was hated. Now, remember, Zacchaeus who came down the tree, was a tax collector. So someone's phone is going off. If you can put all phones on vibrate, please. I'm going to just make sure mine is as well. Please, if you have a phone, please put it on vibrate. All right. God bless you. Now, these two men are going to the temple and are viewed quite differently from the outside world. So when the outside world sees these men going to the temple, they would see the Pharisee and think, ah, oh, what a man of God, and see the publican or the tax collector and say, hmm, what is he doing going? Just like people going to church. And what are they doing going to church? Well, why shouldn't they go to church? Amen. I've had people tell me, can't send my kid to church because we don't have the right things to wear. Don't make a difference. Go. Take it. And so I would have parents not have their children go to church because they said they didn't have the right clothes. No dress code. And that's one of the things also for Friday night Live when we were doing that was uh, kids would come just as they were. Come straight from playing basketball right up to the church. That's what we wanted. <laughs> right? And so this idea that one has to get all dressed up and prepared, no, it's great if you can, fine, but if you don't, yeah, no, it's okay, right? God, because God is looking at the heart. So when we look at these two, one would be accepted because of his status, and the other would be put down. But let me tell you this. If you don't see yourself as needing God, or justifying, or justifying why your sins are not as bad as another person, you've got a problem. If you're saying, my sins are, I'm not doing what such and such a person is doing, and yet you're still living in sin, 
the penalty for sin is still death. There, there's no, no sin that does not lead to death. The consequences on earth may be different, but sin leads to death. Now, the customary position when a person prayed in verse 18, uh, chapter 18, verse 11, the customary position that when one prayed was to stand in the temple. And we find that this Pharisee, the Bible said, stood by himself. Now, let me say this. This standing, to me, is quite significant. Why? Because the standing looks at two things that I see. Number one, he is standing, which is good, but he is standing, the Bible points out, by himself. The tax collector is also standing, but he is standing at a distance. The Pharisee that is standing there is standing because he feels that he is justified by his own merits and his own works. He feels that his standing before God, that God should accept him because of all that he thinks that he is. He is standing in a place of arrogance. He is standing in a place of pride. He is standing in a place where he thinks that God is hearing him. But he does not realize that his standing is not for the king of kings. Nor is he being considered righteous because of what he does. Now, not only is he standing, then he begins to talk about all that he has and has done and has not done. Now, like I said, when he said, God, I thank you, he should have turned and left the temple. He says, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Now, <laughs> I can imagine that he's probably peering at the side of his head as he's standing there looking at the publicans, tax collectors. But that word other is not simply representing one person. He's talking about all other people, any race, any people, that I'm not like just like anybody else. I stand differently. Do you look at yourself as being higher than another person because of where you are, what you have, your status? Do you feel that, oh, I don't associate with those People that go to church because they are, some of them are hypocrites. Some of them do. Are you, are you looking at people through your own lens? If you were to stand before the judgment seat of God, could you tell God to his face, God, I stand before you righteous because of all these things that I've done. I don't look like them. Or do you stand before God and he sees the finished work of Jesus Christ, the blood applied to your life. That's all he's going to see, wants to see. So if your prayer life involves arrogance, you need to change. If you don't have a prayer life, start. If your prayer life includes, I don't know what to say, say, thank you, Lord. Prayer is spending time with God. 
Prayer is just being in the presence of God, spending time with Him, communing with Him. We think we got to come up with some fanciful language and some fancy language. God simply wants your presence. He had this man here, but he didn't have his attention or presence. He just had a body there boasting of himself. So he says, I thank you that I'm not like all other people. All right? Then he says, I thank you that I'm not like robbers. Like this uh, tax collector. (laughs) They consider him a robber. Evildoers. I'm not like this adulteress. Why did he name these? Because these were considered to be some of the most terrible sins. And you know what? They were. And it's good that he wasn't doing them. But the issue, he picks them out because these were considered by them to be the worst. So I thank you that I'm not the worst or commit these sins. So because of that, I should stand in God's presence and be accepted. When you come to God, you must come with your head bowed. You know the right way to come to God? It's flat on your face. When we talk about bowing down to Jesus, we bow down. This is a song we bow down, but we don't. We bow down to Jesus. The song says, and then what, we get up or something? No. What's the name of that song? We bow down. We fall down. What is it? I don't worry about it. Y'all, y'all, y'all see? <laughs> but the issue is that you bow, the Lord raises you up. You, you, you don't just get up on your own. God does a work on you. And when we bow to the Lord, we bow in reverence to the King. We bow in reverence to the Lord. Your merits don't save you. Your merits don't make you right with God, but when you become a saved person, your works show that you are saved, not the other way around. And so he stands. Then we see this tax collector. He also stands. And the standing that he does is at a distance. Now, have you asked yourself the question, he stands far off. From where? Where is he standing far away from? In the temple was the Holy of Holies. The idea here is that this man felt so bad for his sin that he did not feel that he could stand close to the Holy of Holies. That curtain that represented where the Ark of God was, where the presence of God was that separated that place from the others. He stood far from the holy of holies. Not just in comparison to where the Pharisees stood, but in regards to where he felt and how he felt he related to God, where he was. The Pharisee, I can imagine, got as close as he could to where the holy of holies was. That's arrogance. But the tax collector stood... At a distance. Now let me share something else with you. It was common that when you prayed, you stood, but you also looked up when you prayed. The mentioning of the tax collector would not even look up. 
is key because of how he felt. And the Bible says that he smote or beat his breast. In pain because of the sinful life that he lived. And as a result, when you see this, the Greek signifies that it wasn't a few beats or hits. It was constant. It means that it means it was continuous. He kept on. Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Just his attitude, his position shows that this man really was sorry for what he did and how he lived. This prayer, God, forgive me. Do you realize that this prayer was directed towards God? The Pharisee's prayer was telling God of how good he was. Look at me, Lord. Lord, over here. I need to tell you a few things about myself. I don't rob. I don't cheat. Not only do I give my tithe on my increase, I give a tithe on everything that I get. I don't commit adultery. I don't rob. I don't extort. <sighs> Thank you for allowing you to be in my life and me in your life. <laughs> me, Lord. I'm going to leave now. I will be back. And um, I'll wait for you if you're not here. <laughs> that's arrogance. <laughs> that's 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 arrogance. But that's how this Pharisee related to God. The tax collector. I can he's over here, Lord. Wouldn't even go to the place. Now, we need to have a brokenness when it comes to sin. It's so hard for me. I just can't stop. I just, oh, it's so hard for me. I try, but the Lord knows my heart. Because he knows my heart, he's going to bypass and look over all that I do because my heart, he knows. Now, who told you that? Where do you get that thinking? You know, we all sin. Tell yourself, don't be, don't be including me in that prayer. We have become, we have sinned, but the Bible says that, you know what, God saves us from our sins. There's an expectancy that you are to walk righteously before God. And when we think about what God is doing and what God has done, we need to remember this, that when we repent, we need to say, I'm not doing that no more. One thing that is about David, David recognized when he did wrong and he wanted to get it right. Yeah. But even David's righteousness, his own, it wasn't worth anything. Sister Michelle, would you read Isaiah 64, 6? It is all like in your version, it may say filthy rags. Now, the translation is like a woman having a menstrual cycle is that that's the comparison of how our sins stand before God. Just right to the point. Sin stinks in God's presence. 
and he doesn't cut any corners. When we read the Bible, some people be reading the Bible, okay, you know, read over that part. Ooh, that's deep, you know. <laughs> read the Word of God. It's right there in the Bible. And Pastor been saying, put down Jet. Put down Ebony. <laughs> read the Word of God. How, let me ask you this. How many of you spend more time watching TV than you do in your Word? How many of you spend more time enjoying your own activity than reading the Word and in prayer? How many of you leave the house in the morning in your car and not say, Lord, protect me and thank you for this day? If God knows every detail about everything, don't you think it would be wise to say, God, have mercy upon me this day? Wouldn't it be wise to say, Lord, how can I make sure I'm in your presence and pleasing you? The Bible says that this tax collector left and went home justified. His prayer that said, Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner, that short sentence allowed him to be justified in God's presence. Pharisee, with all his goodness, was not. And the Lord said that he told this parable because for those who thought that their righteousness is what saved them, thought that righteousness made them okay. But the Lord says he wants a broken and a contrite heart. That's what the Lord honors. Today, if you're standing before the Lord in arrogance, change. Now, how is, what is arrogance? Arrogance is saying, I don't need to be in church. Arrogance is saying, I don't need to spend time with God. Arrogance is saying, I know they're doing that over there, but I'm not going. Arrogance is saying, I can make my own path and go my own way. Arrogance is saying, I got time for everything else and I'm tired tonight, I'm not going. All Arrogance says, I'm not going to do what God called me to do. If you want to get closer to God, what would be a good way to start your morning? What would be a good prayer? There is no particular formula in regards to how to start. But I will say this always, and that is, I would start my day by simply saying to God before I even speak to anybody, anybody else, Lord, thank you and good morning. I would start my day even before getting out of bed. Lord, thank you for this day. Protect me. Then, after I do whatever I need to do, I'm going to go spend time with him in his word. So one of the things that I encourage people to do before you leave the house, read the word of God. We can talk about where and, and pray. But I think the first thing is simply saying, Lord, thank you for this day. Protect me. Thank you. I was driving down the road this morning, and I was just looking at the sunshine. And I said, Lord, thank you for this beautiful day. Just, ah, just, just the beauty of just seeing what God has created honors him. You can't make the sun come up, and you can't make it go down. You don't know what will happen with you when you leave this place. 
But God does. So I would want to make sure that I'm connected with him. Woman, let me just finish up, and I'll come to you, Sister Mary, and then we're going to conclude. I want to end by saying this here. When we look at our lives and our prayer life and look at these two men, two different prayers and two different outcomes, we need to recognize that humbleness was at the point of the one man, the tax collector, and pride was on the other, was at the other. And when we consider this, one of the things that God hates, he says, is pride. But humbleness, repentance, turning to God, God hears. God loves. Mary, yes. Let me just say this. All of the Bible is good. Just a start. All of the Bible is not easy to read. Amen. I would, it may be a problem going to the genealogy of Chronicles or you know, some of those the names. Right. But one of the things that, it, it, it's, that happens is one will say if there is a, in John, people often say you know, new Christians start in John. But I, I say this. If there is a study that you're doing, pick a Bible, pick a chapter, and begin going through that chapter every day. Pick a chapter and just start consistently going through that particular book every morning until you get through that chapter. Let me take a couple more questions. Yes, Lisa. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that helps us. I see here, here, and I see one of the things that God does. I mean, it speaks of God's creation, his, his love, the fact that he's able to even take care of the birds and hearing that. It, it, it's incredible. Leticia and Kenny and then Kurt. Yes. Well, let me say this. When we look at the effects, let's say, just of substances, one of the things that the Bible mentions is that the temple that God made is supposed to be clean, and he that defiled the temple, the Bible says, he will God destroy. There are natural consequences, as first of all, that's a result of what we do. And so when we look at sin, all sin leads to death, but the Bible says there are some sins that, doesn't, that don't. For in other words, it means there's a sin that leads to death in regards to the outcome, the consequences right away, and then there's gradual things that happen that might also lead you to have a problem. But when it talks about sin leading to death, it means that God will judge all sin, and the end result of that is death. When we consider the sin that when we are struggling or have what's called a besetting sin, one of the things that happens is that physiologically, which I learned recently, didn't know the full extent, is that your liver begins to not only tolerate it, but demand the very thing that you're putting in your body. It's no longer just psychological. Your body is now demanding that particular substance. And that's where even addictions come. And so when we say it becomes hard to put something down, it's because your body now says, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. So we have to recognize this, is there are times when we do things that when the Bible says don't do it, because the Bible knows, God knows, there is an end result of what it leads to. There's an addiction associated with it, and God knows and says, stay away. So when I hear people say, I, I, I only do this, I only do that, but it's sin, there is a gradual building up of things that happens. You have to be very careful. Any. Two, two questions, then we're going to end. 
And of course, you know, they're praying. But that's, that's true. There was, I was praying for it. Lord, let them win. But I mean, it was like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> but let me say this. I don't necessarily believe that God is in. I mean, God can use, God gets the, can get the glory out of everything. But I'm not necessarily sure that God is necessarily going to just be there offering, you know, trying to make this, have this team win. But this is what, something that I, that I do believe. When there's a Christian on the field, one that, let's say, wins the game and God is honored, I think God gets the glory from individuals' lives of what he's doing on the field. Whatever profession that we're in, no matter what it is, God is to be honored and glorified. And so I think for, for me, that's the ultimate thing that we have to remember. It makes no difference what it is. God is to be honored and he gets the glory. Finally here. And, and, and let me say this in, in closing. I want to say two points, and that is, when we do read the Word of God, because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the one who brings understanding, meaning, and he gives us different things, sometimes out of the very same thing that we've been reading for years, and we say, I never saw that before. 40, 50, my dad, eight, what, 80, with 82, can read his passage that he's been reading for years, says, you know what, I never saw that before. You see it in a different way. Now I need to throw something else in there. And that is, the Word of God has to change our lives. There has to be a reading, but there has to be a reading for a change of life. So when we read the Word of God, our prayer is, God, may your, your Word reveal and open my life, and may it do the necessary cutting and changing that needs to take place that brings about honor and glory to your name. Some people, we think sometimes that when we read, it makes us righteous. It is actually the reading and the doing. So I encourage you to read. And I'm glad to hear Kurt say that, uh, Gert say that, because Gert and Brother uh, Latour told me on this past Thursday, he's been reading Proverbs, Psalms, and Job, which are called the wisdom books. He's been reading those for years, he says. The things he's going to be sharing later on as we get to but uh, just incredible when we think about what God does. The Word of God changes. We've got to end, but before we end, I'm going to ask Sister Evelyn to come up. And before she comes, I'm going to ask you to bow your head. I want to pray. Today, Lord, we are first thankful for answering prayer. The pastor is here and for everyone that's here, for the request, for the people of God, and most of all, for your Word. Amen. We recognize that... <laughs> We can't live unless we have the Word of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, living Word, the written Word that strengthens us, the Holy Spirit that comes to convict the world of sin, to lead us and to strengthen us to do the Word of God, the work that you have called us to do. Today, our hearts cry out to you and say, Lord, if there's any sin, any hidden sin in our lives, we pray today that you will Help us with it. As Ben said even today, those besetting sins, those sins that, Lord, we picked up years ago, the body now demands. But, Lord, you are the God that can change the chemistry of the body. And today, where Letitia is struggling, as she says, give her the freedom in Jesus' name. We pray, Lord, for all that, Lord, constricts us and holds us that we will allow you to do the work in our lives that will bring honor to you. We give you glory in Jesus' name.